It's time for building the game. Building the game. With Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. With Jason and friends. At the end of the episode, that's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, July 17th. And you're listening to episode 581. As always, I am your host, Jason. And today I am joined by returning co-host, who's actually been here quite a bit of late, which has been great because they ran away for a while. And that is Jamie Sabriel. Hey, Jamie. Hello. I fled, but I returned like a boomerang. I realized when I sent you the, the message on Discord and was like, hey, here's the link to the show. I was like, it has not been that long since I sent you a link to be on the show. That's awesome. No. Because for a while, I got real ago. busy and it was a while. So, yes. yeah. 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 That was a mistake. And I learned a lot about how to manage my time better. You know sure. what? Uh, that is something that is a continual lesson that you will continue to learn for the rest of your <laughs> life, as I will, too. <laughs> uh, you're, you're not wrong. Time management is that, but... stupid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was very rewarding because that was when I was, you know, I got promoted at my job, Mm -hmm. my day job, which I have now left. Right. uh, Right. A ton of free time that I have back. That'll Uh, teach them to promote you. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Shows you. Um, I mean, kind of, though. It was it was a mess. But yeah, it's over now. And that's great. Um, And then I was doing the, the dev contract for Harvest Hoppers. And so it was just a lot of time spent doing those two things, which both were rewarding in their own ways, but oh, whoa, Nelly. Yeah. Time management yeah. is real hard, especially with the, when I get too overwhelmed, my executive functions start like shutting down. It's like, well, yep. I guess I just never do dishes again. Uh, and that's, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It turns out that's gross. Don't do that. Um, it, it's interesting. You point that out the thing about the promotion in your job, cause your promotion came with extra duties, right? Like you had to do more things. A but lot like, of extra stuff and a lot of stuff that was like hidden, which was kind of the biggest issue. Ah, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. It's interesting though to me because like I quit my last job after a promotion that did not include much more to do. It was just like a, a, a title promotion, a pay increase. It was all the good stuff. And it was after that promotion that I really started to reflect and say, this is it. Like, this is the top of the line here. Like, this is this is everything I've wanted to try and achieve here. And I've done it. And mm. and it's stupid. And I don't want to do it anymore. And then I, and then I <laughs> left. But like, like that, sometimes I think getting what we want is a really good way to show us what we actually want and care about. Right. And I think in your case, it was like, hey, I got this promotion. You get more work but you enjoy some of the stuff you're doing, but then you start to realize like I have to prioritize my time. And that's when the rubber meets the road about what you actually yeah. give a crap about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And it's, it's a and hard that's... thing because it's, it's a push and pull, right? Society tells us be successful, do this thing. Right. And, mm-hmm. and society tells us a lot of BS. It does. <laughs> right. It does so much. And, you know, I mean, like, I, you know, I think about like, so I'm going back to school. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast or not. I'm going back to school um, to get a master's degree uh, and I'll be uh, a licensed therapist when I'm done. And I'm really stoked about it. Um, but like, there's no like promotions from that, right? Like that will be right. my job. And if I'll start like limited license and then I'll do my hours and then take a test and then I'll be licensed, licensed. But like, that's not like a promotion, right? That's just a finalization of a thing. And Taking mm-hmm. yourself outside of that corporate structure is really, really interesting. If you've, I mean, I was in the corporate structure for 20 years. And so like not being in it, it's just, it's just a weird feeling of like, you know, I mean, it's certainly, I think in game design, you can move up, right. You could become a something of a company or the head of a company, but like, mm-hmm. frankly, being the head of a publishing company all that takes is you starting a publishing company and being in charge of it. Right. I mean, like, it's not like there's not always a corporate ladder to go up there. Right. Right. Yeah. It's more the ladder. It's a different ladder. I will say like having had that experience and then jumped off. Well, I'm still on the ladder, but in different ways, Yep. there are many, I mean, as you know, many, 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 many things to do when you start your own publishing company. Yeah, um, yeah. Assuming like how deep you want to get in on it. And right. I 
stalled out on a couple of the important steps because I learned that I really didn't want to do it. So talking about prioritizing time, it's like that's yeah. yep. that's the that's the big thing and why I feel relieved at now I am on this plan of taking a more quote unquote traditional path to getting games signed mm -hmm. and like I'm focusing my time on uh, you know, it's just building a different skill set because when I got my first two games signed, it was sort of, well, one of them was not super out of the blue because we were talking about it for so long, but I worked right. on fight sequence. I, I mean, I'm still working on fight sequence. Right, but I you did for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked on it for so, so, so long and invested so much time in it um, because I was, you know, I did that consciously because I knew that I was like, I am at this level and I want to be at a higher level in terms of certain game design skills mm -hmm. and by mm -hmm. iterating on fight sequence i am training those yeah um, I feel <laughs> funny enough you're training yourself yeah, on your out. fighting game <laughs> weird yeah wild turns out <laughs> my thinking about fighting game um thinking about training uh i thought about training a lot um so i yeah that joke never gets old it doesn't so it really I, doesn't yeah it, it's so funny uh one of the first things that the the person who is going to be doing the kickstarter video for fight sequence mm -hmm. said we were talking at origins and they were running workshops on like how to use like story writing beats to write taglines punchy mm -hmm. taglines punchy yeah. intros yeah. and i told them the tagline for fight sequence is you know the full tagline is the head-to-head -head card game of psychics thinking about fighting and they were like that's way too long i think it should be the head-to-head -head card game of psychics and i was like absolutely not the thinking about fighting is absolutely the most crucial thing um, because it is a meme now and memes are the best advertising in, right, right. in the information age. Well, and it's just um, different, right? Like when I hear that, I'm like, oh, that's not like typical, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They were they were likening it to like, it needs to very quickly tell people what the game is. And my response is, no, it doesn't. It needs to very quickly grab people's attention. Right. And the game right. of psychics thinking about fighting grabs people's attention. Anyway, it's a whole thing. That's it that's basically its own topic. But that's not the topic we're talking about today. What right. we're talking about training. Yeah, training, training. Right, right, right. So one of the the tail end of what I was trying to say before I got on this tangent is it feels really rewarding on multiple fronts to now be um you know, of course I, I'm super grateful and honored that I have game signed, and I'm also grateful that it has led me to walking this more quote-unquote traditional path of getting a game signed where mm -hmm. i'm working on a game for just enough that it is in a pitchable state i'm working on sell sheets i'm practicing pitches because these are skills that i was not training when i assumed i was going to right. self-publish like all the way to the finish line and now i'm training those and i think that you know making sure that you are learning and building skills that you enjoy is probably the most important like yes. duty as a human to, like duty to yourself yeah. as a yep healthy, happy human, you know, just never stop learning. Yes. So that's real cool. But, but it comes with some downsides, which is the thing that I want to talk about today. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. As you know, if you've listened to past episodes with me, you know, I, I generally keep it lighthearted. Well, I mean, first it was like educational content basically. Right. Yeah, it was. And then it was more silly pants on. Um, today we're going to get a little heavier. So, I, I, you know, as People who have heard me talk know I've signed two games now with a big, big company. I could talk about the company now. It's Wise Wizard Games. Mm -hmm. So Fight Sequence and my little nine-card dueling game, Elamistic, have been signed to Wise Wizard. And I was a, a part of the Horizon Fellowship through Gamma, and that came with a lot of very cool perks. Um, that's an initiative to get more diverse game designers into the community and like also supporting them so they can grow, not just exist, but like actually be present in the community mm -hmm. in you know throughout time um so that was very very cool and going to the gamma expo as a horizon fellow offered me a lot of privileges that i would not have gotten otherwise i did a lot of great networking um and through that like that has propelled me into this like level of quote unquote success heavy air quotes success and i'll talk about why it's air quotes um very shortly but basically it's like a lot a lot of cool things are happening and a lot of doors have been opened for me um after and this is all happening in a very short amount of time after like eight years of me just doing this as i mean i've been designing games as a hobby for my whole life and i've always wanted to design games like right. as my dream job right but right. in my adult life i've been doing it for about eight years with like no tangible reward at the end um until yeah, i self-published yeah. 
And so it's all sort of flooding in at once. And what I realized is that I've been feeling a lot of imposter syndrome related to that. And the way that this has been manifesting in my life specifically, um, like you combine the imposter syndrome with certain uh, conversational idiosyncrasies that I have uh, mm -hmm. due to being on the autism spectrum and an anxious yep. human where I like, when I don't know what to do in a conversation, I lead with talking about myself. Mm -hmm. Combined yeah, with yeah. insecurity of imposter syndrome, what I've been doing is talking about myself a lot and it has led to me uh, harboring a lot of arrogance accidentally. Right, right, right. Well, I think the con quote, unquote, I, work, experience game right. designer. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, that's all right. You were finishing your statement. I'm sorry. Uh, I think too, like to kind of back you up with that, Every time you talk about something you're excited about, you're very boisterous and excited about it, right? Yeah. So like that kind of faux arrogance where you're not trying to be arrogant, but it could come across that way, I think yeah. is because you're so darn excited about things you're talking about, which is like, listen to any time you've ever talked to Jamie about something they're excited about. They're like, what? <laughs> It was, I think it was back in the day when you were like, my blood is like some large percentage of like exclamation points or something like that. We yeah. had a conversation a long time ago. And uh, so, yeah, I think that excitement when we're talking about ourselves can very much sound like that. Right. Especially when we're really excited. So I, I completely relate to that. Completely understand that. Yes. Yeah. That's actually, that's an underpinning that I forgot to consider, but yeah, that absolutely factors into. It didn't, when you first brought it up, it didn't occur to me. It was just now listening to you. And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good call. Um, there are a few specific events that I wanted to like pick out and talk about. Cause it's like how hubris appears in different ways. Yeah, and yeah. I think that talking about it in different ways will help us like, you know, highlight and combat it. Right, so right. one thing that happened, so <clears throat> one of the two games I have signed, Elemistic, uh, at this point now that you are listening to this podcast, uh, we, meaning me and Wise Wizard, we consider it done. The game mm -hmm. is done and it's going to print and that's very cool. That is First awesome. of all, that's yeah. rad to like think that I finished a game, which is weird. And it's only because <laughs> it's a card, but I was able to finish that's it. That's a first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a first. And it's, it's a weird feeling. Anyway, so Elemistic is done. But before Elemistic was done, um, I feel like I balanced the cards first, and then the last like holdout that was stressing me out, I was pulling my hair out. It was about the like the play first, draft first rule. So in Elemistic, each round you 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 get dealt a card, and then one card gets set to the side, and then the remaining six cards that you're playing with the players draft, mm -hmm. and then you're playing them in a column, but you're playing them one at a time. So I play my first card, you play your first card. Then I play my second card and I either tuck it behind or in front. Mm -hmm. So the player who drafts first has an advantage because the draft goes 2-2-1-1. Two, two, one, one, so you get two first picks. And the player who plays second has an advantage because you're playing the final card to the front or the back. And you always have two choices because you have a four card hand. You're playing three of your cards. Mm -hmm. So playing second gives you an advantage. And I was struggling with a lot of versions of the who plays first and who drafts first each round. And one, this was the first an easiest thing that I can look to that really highlighted how I'm, how I was kind of like feeling a little too big for my boots <laughs> as a designer. Now that I have all the success in the heavy air quotes, of course, um, <laughs> still an asterisk on that. We'll loop back to that. So I, the, the simplest thing, the simplest rule is you just, so uh, something I was doing, I was linking play first and draft first together because playing first is a disadvantage and drafting first is an advantage. Right, right. And I tried a ton of variants. You know, who has higher uh, who has higher speed? Who has lower speed? You're going to play first, draft first this round. Um, all this other stuff. I tried a bunch of things and I skipped the simplest thing, which is just have it rotate. It's not tied to a mechanic. It's just goes back and forth each round. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I was like, I don't need to try that. I know how that's going to go. It's going to lead to people... You know, if I am playing first and drafting first this round, I'm just going to play defensive because I have one health left. And next round, I'm drafting second, but I'm playing second, which means I have more control over the stats at the end and all this right, other stuff. Right. And I just didn't try it out for so long. And I was stuck on this problem, and I just uh -huh. didn't try the 
simplest solution. Eventually, I finally swallowed my pride. I realized what I was doing to myself. And I was like, what the heck am I doing? Like, <laughs> I, I even told newer designers this, like less experienced designers, someone had just started, it's their first game. And I was like, try out the simplest stuff on every level. And then also, if you have no deadlines, try out everything else too. But try the simplest stuff so you like have a good baseline. And I just was not doing that with my own game. Um, it as it turns out, the what needed to happen was have the two divorced. So play first spins one way, and draft first spins another way. So play first is actually tied to a stat from this round. Whoever has higher mm -hmm. attack will play first next round, um, and then draft first will actually rotate. So they desync sometimes and they're synced up sometimes. And that was the thing that needed to happen. But I didn't figure that out until I tested the simplest thing and got inspired by it. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that like, no matter how many times you do this, no matter how many games you design, it's still, right. it, it's the sort of thing of like, I got so advanced that I forgot the basics sort of thing. Not that right. that's how I feel about this particular thing, but it reminds me of um, when I sliced my finger open with a chef's knife because I just forgot basic knife handling skills after learning like some advanced carving techniques and right. I accidentally carved a bit of my finger off because I forgot to like hold the hold the my other hand the right way and it was right. I was like that was so dumb why did right. I <laughs> so it was one of those um exactly yeah another thing so that's one element and in in the very same short time period this happened like within the same week this was all a few weeks ago maybe like a month and a half ago or something at this point but but I'm still thinking about it because this one really hit me because it is the exact opposite of how I want to carry myself in the game design community ever. Mm -hmm. I was in a playtest with two newer designers uh, in my local game group, actually. It's when I went back to my... I did a Boston Game Makers Guild playtest. Mm -hmm. And there were the three of us in a group. And if there was enough time, we were going to play all three of our games. Where I signed up late, so it was first, it was the one player's game, which was a dice game. And then the second, which was a word game. And then I was going to like observe the two of them play Elemist. We didn't get to my game. So we played the dice game first. And it generally, I'm not a big fan of push your luck games or like dice chucking games unless mm -hmm. I have some manipulation of the dice. And this was both of those. So it wasn't really my cup of tea. And what I found myself feeling is that there were a whole bunch of design choices that I, as a designer, would not want in my games. And so I had a generally negative experience because it's, you know, it's just like, you know, different isn't wrong or bad. It's just. Right. I temporarily <laughs> forgot that. Yeah, it's just different. And it's just not the game that I would design. Right, um, right. But my my head wasn't screwed on right that day. And I still feel bad about this. So I didn't really like that game. And I gave a lot of feedback, you know, like I always do. It was primarily negative. And that's important for in a bit. Mm -hmm. The second game, which was a word game, and my feedback was, like, overwhelmingly positive. I really, really liked it a lot, even though I don't like word games. Um and I thought it was very, very cool. It was sort of like, uh, it was a word drafting game. Had a simple like Seven Wonders style drafting and you're trying mm -hmm. to use the cards to make words. And I thought it was very cool. And it appealed to me even as a not word game fan. And this thing happened where the designer of the first game gave a bunch of feedback after me mm -hmm. that I did not agree with or felt I had to correct. And that's important. I felt I had to correct. That's important. And it led to that designer, uh, not the one of the work game, the one of the dice game, the designer of the dice game felt belittled by me mm -hmm. and felt like I was talking down to them. And they sent me a Discord message the next day saying, hey, I'm sure this wasn't your intention, but I just want to let you know that during playtesting yesterday i felt talked down to a lot and i know that you're a much more experienced designer and playtester but i felt belittled by our interactions and there were there were like five things that stood out to me there one is that i was presenting this like aura of being much more experienced and okay well actually i'll get back to that that's a little more of a vague thought but it really highlights, like, why did I feel like I had to correct this designer? How right, did right. my feelings towards that designer's game impact how I thought about their feedback on another game? 
That's another big thing. And I was just, I was feeling pretty down on myself. And of course I responded and I was like, I'm so sorry. That is not at all what my intent was. Thank you for letting me know because, you know, I, as someone on the autism spectrum, I don't know these things unless people tell me. Right. And this is absolutely not a thing I want to do because my, my, and this ties into why I keep saying success in heavy air quotes. I am absolutely thrilled that I have games published. And of course, that's one of my goals because I design games to share fun experiences with people. Mm-hmm. And I really like the, as a separate thing, this is probably a different topic, but I really, really love like le- teaching through game, like learning, like the yeah, gamifying yeah. learning. Yep. And so anything I can do to help with that, even if it's just like, I'm helping you get better at math and logic because my games are mathematical right, and logical. Right. Um, that's really cool. However, this is one version of success that I have never, like, it's been a sort of like secondary or tertiary priority for me, mm-hmm. but my primary goal, my version of success, because everyone has a different version, my version of success is that I want to, as much as possible, lay down the foundation for newer designers to then like help themselves you know, achieve what their versions of success are, Mm -hmm. get published, whatever it is. I really just always want to be helping new publishers whenever I can. That's why I've been a moderator in Break My Game for so long. That's Mm -hmm. why I'm one of the moderators for Protospiel Online. That's one of the reasons I'm on this podcast, all this other stuff. And so the fact that like so many different little points of like this person, this newer designer felt belittled. This person felt like they were like being overpowered in this conversation by a more experienced designer that more experienced designer was me Mm -hmm. like all these different things factored in where it's like gosh like where was my head that day i was so (laughs) far from what my personal goals are and the the person that i want to be in the industry you know Mm -hmm. and it ties into this um you know the thing that i was talking about with playtesting elemistic where I just thought I knew better right away. And as it turns out, you know, my gut was correct and that rule didn't work. But the fact that that doesn't mean it always will, right? Exactly. That doesn't mean it always will. And the fact that I didn't try it at all was putting an obstacle between me and what the final solution was for that rule. And I've really been reflecting on that. And like, you know, it's the this sort of accidental arrogance that I've adopted because I've hit so much success in a short amount of time. And it's a manifestation of me feeling insecure about it, basically, due to imposter syndrome. And I'm projecting that outwards. And that like outward projection is actively harming other people and myself. Um, and that is wild to me. And so I wanted to bring it up because it is an important thing because everyone feels imposter syndrome and it manifests in different ways. Mm-hmm bringing it up on the podcast would help us hash it out and hopefully help other people as well. Yeah. And, and I think this is a great topic. We we've obviously, we've talked about imposter syndrome, gosh, several times. However, this is a way that I don't think, um, I don't think we've ever covered this aspect of it, of basically like where you can inflate your own ego trying to not feel like an imposter, right? You can say, yeah. look at my accomplishments, right? Exactly. Um, and, and this is something that really hit home for me because I constantly struggle with imposter syndrome. Um, and, you know, like I, I was saying to you earlier, like I have to remind myself, like when somebody says like, um, when somebody says, hey, what games do you have out? That's easy. I'll list a few games and it's great. But like sometimes designers, and this happened at Origins, the designer was like, hey, how many games do you have out right now? Because um, I had said, oh, what games do you have? And they said, oh, I've got this one or two games. And they're like, how many games do you have out? And I was like, oh, um, well, between published games and games that are coming out, I actually just recounted it's it's 11. And they're like, oh, my gosh. And like, and I was like, yeah. And so I start talking about them. But like, but like, it's, I don't know, like, it's like I say that number because I'm like, wow, look, like I'm valid (laughs) as a designer. But like I was saying to you at a time, most people haven't heard of of eight of those 10 games if they don't listen to this podcast. Right. Um, And 
And like, and I'll be the first to admit, like I, when I try, when somebody says, when I'm talking to a group of people, like I was talking to kids and stuff or like uh, people that I'm talking about game design, I try to say, I have 11 games between these things of varying sizes, right? Some are very small. One is a postcard game that was published by Button Shy. One is a game in a book mm-hmm. that was published by Button Shy, right? Like, okay. and some designers would be like, those don't count. And that's crap. Uh, At, that counts. Mm, yeah. Anything that you have published counts, right? Whether you self-publish it, whether you put it on Game Crafter, you publish that game. It's out there. It's for consumption, right? And I think yeah. that that's how like, people any game should... you make counts. What'd you say? I, that's kind of a different topic. Any any game you make counts. Yeah, yeah. Quote unquote counts. But I think that's a that's a different topic. It is. It is. But like so, but I find myself throwing that number out there. Because I think the reason I find myself throwing that number out there is I've been thinking a lot about this when I was talking to someone else. And I may have said this on the podcast. If I did, like, I apologize. But, like, is I want a game out there that is, like, consistently relevant, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. when people are like, oh, my gosh, like, have you played this game, right? Yeah. And it's like, like Azul wingspan stuff right. like that. Yeah, that kind of. I mean, and not even that big. Not like, not even oh. like that. Just a game where I mean, that would be great. But like, you know, I'm getting mm-hmm. it with no context. Where people are like, "Hey, I saw no context. Super cool." Like, people are actually coming and saying that to me because it's got a wider release, right? So it's out there more. It's being advertised more than other games I've done, and like, that to me feels very validating. Um, it helps to kind of like take away that imposter syndrome for for a minute right mm, yeah <laughs> so when when you are actively receiving praise from people it uh right. it can help combat the imposter syndrome temporarily <laughs> yeah until they stop giving you praise and then oh there it is so i there think that like i'm Always like working. i'm gonna go by volume of games when i tell people about it rather than going by you know i've got this one huge game that everybody knows out right um and that that is all about me trying to make me feel better, but it can come across as like, look at what I've done. Look at all these games. Look how great I am. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's never the intention, but that can be the impact. And that's what matters. Right. You know, your intentions are, are much less consequential than the impact that yeah. your, you know, that your things you put out there have. So, so that really hit home for me. Um, and the other thing I wanted to throw out there was talking like being talked down to in a play test is the worst. Um, yes. And even if the person's not intentionally doing it, when you struggle from imposter syndrome, it's not only very easy to try to make your feedback valid by doing what you did. Right. It's also very easy to do the opposite and let any negative feedback where you feel like you're being talked down to become really, really crushing. Um, and, and like, I, I had a moment playing one of my games where I got some bad feedback. It wasn't, I got some more negative feedback than I expected to get after on the next play test I did of this game. Cause the play test before was really good. And like, mm-hmm. I really felt like the one play tester was just really, really talking down to me. And like, I had to ask myself afterwards, like, were they? Or was that me, right? Like, was that, were they talking down to me or was I sensitive about it? And I honestly, I think it was a situation like you experienced where I think they were trying to be very helpful. Um, yeah. Some people just come across as more authoritative people with their stupid confidence. Like, I don't trust anyone. <laughs> like, you know, I've had that conversation That's before. Me. Like that person and somebody's like, oh, I think they're great. And I'm like, they're just too confident. Like, I don't know. I don't trust it. Something's going on. How are they that confident? How do they have like, you know, a brain that works like that? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's uh, it's all a ruse when I talk about game design and feedback and playtesting and all of the, all this other stuff. And it's the sort of thing where one of the, like the underpinning of when I was in that playtest and I was like essentially correcting the person, the, the designer on some stuff. It's that like, I actively thought at the time, I don't think this now, mm-hmm. uh, can't even remember what the things were but at the time i thought if these designers walk away from this playtest internalizing this specific information i right. feel will be 
detrimental to them like and their future designs and their future iterations i do not remember what the thing was which should be a clear enough indication that i was probably wrong Um, (laughs) it did stem from this desire to help the newer designers or i keep saying newer designers uh and like talking about myself as an experienced designer i want to make it clear i that's all bunk and I, I want to help all designers of right, all levels. Right, right. And experienced is also in heavy air quotes, like success was. Um, right. Because everyone is experienced in different ways. It's a whole thing. Well, anyway. I mean, I think one of my favorite examples of like a new designer just like busting out with, with games where you're like, what? Like, how long have they been doing this? Is Julio, right? I mean, like Julio oh busted out of the scene Julio. with game ideas that that were were the game ideas that would have generally come from somebody who'd been doing it for quite a while. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and you can listen back to episodes with Julio. He's, he's talked about why that was. And it was basically a confluence of events of the way he thinks about things, being an engineer, the, the lack of games that he'd played. um, And just, he's really good, like being good at designing things and thinking through ideas and being very analytical and all of those things were like the perfect storm to make him just design, just click for him. Right. And that doesn't work for all of us, not even a little bit. Yeah. I mean, um, and I still would well, argue we, that we he's probably become strengths. a better designer quite a bit than when he started at just because of the experience and the fact that some of his stuff has failed that he's tried to make like, and he's had mm-hmm. to make new stuff, you know, like he's had to make big changes and stuff as we all do. Right. Right. But yeah, yeah, being a new designer does not make you less of a designer. It just means that your experience level is different. You can be, yeah. you, the, how good you are as a designer is not about like in general. I think your kind of intuitiveness about how things work, that doesn't come from a ton of experience. That That's internal to you. However, mm, yeah. the experience helps that grow and strengthen, right? Yeah. The way that I have been thinking about it when I talk about newer designers and more experienced designers, it's literally just like how much material have you interacted with? Right. And, you know, because a newer designer, if you've been designing for six months, you've probably like read fewer articles and like been on Discord less. Made fewer prototypes, right? Yeah, made fewer prototypes. That's the other thing I was going to get into is, you, you know, just like looking at all of your games across time, you just have like, generally probably fewer iterations of games total yes than other people and each i i liken it to an rpg because i think about a lot of things in terms of rpgs it's like right, right. you just you, you know being a lower level does not make your character weaker it just means that you have like not acquired all of the skills that you were going to have because you're not level right. 99 or whatever right not the game company level 99 right Though they do uh, have a lot of skills. Um, They have a lot of games as well. (laughs) Um, I do think, you know, there's obviously like the biggest thing, I think the biggest teacher in game design is, is, is failure. Right. I mean, like making games that don't work is the best thing you're going to learn from. Um, And I think Julio even had said that like when he first, you know, he was this like sensation where it was like, Oh, have you heard about Julio Nasario's games? And he's like, I literally didn't even have a game out yet. And he's like, and that was hard for people to be like, oh, these games are going to be so great. And he's like, but they're not even out yet. What if they're not? Right. Which is a whole different kind of imposter syndrome (laughs) with around that success. Right. I can't even imagine being in uh, Amon Anderson's position. Do you know him? The designer of Gnome Hollow. I've heard of the game. I do not. I do not know him, though. So he is a super sweet guy and he designed a game called Gnome Hollow. And at the Gamma Expo, he was just show- he didn't even have a booth. He was just showing it around to publishers mm-hmm. who were interested. Um, so many publishers and all the media folks went absolutely ballistic for it. And he, in between Gamma Expo, which was the end of April, and now, he has been courted by 11 publishers. He has 11 contract offers that he has to sift through. And one of them is Hasbro. Right. So, yeah. So yeah, that's... He- he got so so stressed out. Um, it was uh, I was so I was showing Wild Magic at Origins, mm-hmm. and one of the people in the booth that I was working with, I you know I kept talking about like oh this pitch meeting went well, oh this pitch this pitch meeting also went well, um, and one of them joked like oh uh, like are you just gonna sign the games to one of these? You're gonna, like you could start a bidding war like Amon, and I and I was like I 
don't want to do that because that sounds so stressful. Um, right. And then Amon was like chatting with us because we both know Amon. Uh, Amon was chatting with us and he was talking about like, and I was like, oh my God, congratulations. You know, we were talking about how many people were recording it. And he was like, mm -hmm. I am I am so stressed out. And I was like, listen, if you need me to walk you through contracts, let me know. And he's like, I just hired a lawyer because I was too stressed out. And yeah. Hasbro Smart. wants to talk to me too. It's like, I don't even know. I don't know what to do. And I feel so bad. I don't know if he's published a game yet, um, but I, I think this might be, this is definitely his first big game. Right. Right. Um, it might also be his first game, and that just sounds terrifying to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, even if I have ten games out, like that sort of experience is not one that I ever want. <laughs> right. Um. So yeah, I mean, it's just like the path to becoming quote unquote experienced takes a different form for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that, you know, to look back to what this designer said, the fact that I was projecting that is one that I have complicated feelings about right? because right. it's the sort of thing that leads into stuff like this where it's like, Oh, I need to listen to Jamie because they're more experienced than me. And it's like, I don't right. want that. Right. I don't, I don't like heart holding that authority. And I don't like it when people default to that. It's sort of like the kind of celebrity culture where people just idolize celebrities because they have all this money and success and i'm like that's right. weird to me. but their that success feels... and money just comes from the fact that people follow them like yeah it's like it's... you didn't actually do anything right you created like <laughs> yeah. like i mean some people obviously create a bunch of content but like for people who are like right. you're just following me because i take pictures of myself and do stuff like <laughs> it's it's yeah. so interesting it's yeah and it's weird to me and so it's the sort of thing where it's like i've been reflecting on how to Get back to my roots which is people like recognizing that they want to listen to me because they you know they think my advice is insightful not right. because i am inciting them into negative emotions right i think <laughs> i think as a as a check for people in general like that you should do is like i always feel like when i'm giving game design feedback i don't feel like i ever sound authoritative like i feel like i know like i mean i'm like the most common thing i say is this is probably a stupid idea, but right. Like I sell my ideas very short, but I also just enjoy throwing out stupid ideas because I think it helps you process through things. Um, I think that if you're the type of person that people consider to sound authoritative or very much like, you know what you're talking about, you need to really consider how you give feedback. Right. Like, I think yep. you sound so like, you know what you're talking about because a lot of times you do. And so, and there are people who I've met who are, way beyond you when it comes to that there are people when they give you feedback you're like i have to take this because this clearly <laughs> is the correct feedback and it might be it might not be because as experienced as a game designer may be it's not their game right and while right. they may be able to point out some huge flaws they may not have every solution for you they likely don't um so so i think that's something to as you're a person giving feedback like, just think about the way you're doing it and saying, like, am I, um, you know, am I being very authoritative in a way that could make people feel like I'm coming across as this is what you got to do, right? Follow me. I'm a genius. You know, that sort of thing. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's really important. Of course, it's tough for me to understand how I sound, but that's something that I've been working on, especially when I give feedback, because I used to be way more aggressive and authoritarian and have learned to temper that. Um, the Game Makers Guild actually was instrumental in that and then break my game much more so. Uh, uh, not much more so. It was uh, uh, more still because right, I sort right. of, you know, I, I stopped going to Game Makers Guild for a while and went to break my game. Not that it is... Technique. I know what you mean. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, this sort of like sounding authoritarian, that's another thing that I do to mask insecurity and imposter syndrome. And I actually, I thought of a couple quick things that feed into that as well. Uh, one is literally the previous episode of the podcast, <laughs> the one that we recorded at Origins. Uh -huh. um, and I said something like, uh, you know, everyone was talking about being in the unpub room. Um, which I have volunteered for multiple times and I love being an unpub. And I have said multiple times, I think I might've said this on the podcast on a previous episode of the podcast. I've definitely said it at the check-in um, 
unpub is my favorite part of any convention. Oh yeah. I'm pretty sure you've said that on the podcast before. Yeah. Yeah. I love unpub. It's the best. And I mm-hmm. always, yeah. Cause we hang out there and you, you saw it at unplugged. It's like every single time I was not on the expo floor working, I go, I went to unpub. I mean, I did my shopping right, right. around on the expo floor and then I went to unpub and that was just where I lived. Um, hanging out with my friends, playing prototypes. I just love it so much. Uh, and so during the Origins episode, everyone was talking about like, I was at Umpub just like everyone else on this episode. Um, and then someone said like, eh, oh, I guess not everyone, almost everyone. And then I I did, I said something like, oh yeah, I'm official now. Um, right. Which I, that was me mocking myself because I was really, really stressed out at Origins. I right, didn't want right, to like right. be a Debbie Downer on the Origins podcast because I was sharing success stories. But Origins was largely negative for me as an experience because I was so, so stressed out the whole time. Right. Um, it's a lot. Especially yeah, it was very different. Going oh my God, yeah. So it was very different for me in a lot of ways. And I was very overstimulated. I get easily overstimulated by like sights and sounds, sounds especially. Um, and there were a lot of motorcycles in Columbus and a lot of like ATVs and loud mufflers and all this other stuff. So I was suffering a lot. Um, and I had to work all of the expo hall hours and that was extremely stressful in a number of different ways. And so my comment about like, Oh, I'm official now. That was me mocking myself because I really, really wish that I was just in the unpub room the whole time. Uh, and I realized after the fact in a short conversation that we had that I, (laughs) that I didn't even realize how that sounded when I said it. But that's another thing of like right. accidental arrogance where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm official. I don't need Unpub anymore. I always right. need Unpub because right, it's right. my favorite. I um, mean, Martin uh, Martin Wallace was in Unpub, who's got a bunch of stuff out there, right? Was in Unpub oh, yeah. testing because you always need something like Unpub, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just what it is. Yeah. And uh, Omari Akil and Eric Roos and uh, who else was it? Matt Fantastic um, mm-hmm. and his whole team. They go to Unpub. Um, that's Forever Stoked Creative and Matt Fantastics designed a whole bunch of games too. Um, who else was there? Uh, Jacob, I'm blanking on his last name. I think it's Jacob Way, uh, who's the CEO of yeah. Deepwater Games. Yep. Yeah, yep. he was chilling at Unpub for a while. Um, so it's just like, it doesn't matter what level you are at. Like you could be a first time designer with your, you know, your handwritten index cards, or you could be, you know, the CEO of a big publishing company or Omari Akil was success in a bunch of different ways. And mm-hmm. you will be at Unpub because Unpub is rad as heck. And I strongly recommend it. Any any convention you go to, if there's an Unpub, chill at Unpub, play a game at Unpub. It's rad. I super love it. Um, another thing that I thought of, uh, I think, so one of my favorite parts about Origins is I got to finally meet in person Eric Lang and like talk to him and interact with him. Um, and we Eric is great. And I've been reflecting on that too. My time talking to Eric Lang. I, um, I've spent, I spent cumulatively like several hours with him across a few different days talking to him. Um, and most of the conversation was sharing stories and only one story involved a game that he designed. And the rest of it was stories about other things or other people's games. And on the final day, he was asking, uh, I guess Saturday, because we didn't see each other Sunday, but on Saturday, we caught up and I was in a conversation where he was like talking business with someone. And that was the only time that I heard um, about the stuff that he's doing at Exploding Kittens, which is where he works. Mm -hmm. Um, And then even then, he didn't talk about his own games. He was talking about like the company and what the company can do with with the person that he was talking to and all this other stuff. Um, And then he was talking to me about my games and he still didn't talk about his games. I mean, he might not be able to, but like, even just like, he didn't mention Blood Rage. He only mentioned Quarriers once. I brought up Blood Rage because I was like, Blood Rage is rad. And he's like, oh, thanks. And then we moved on. Um, And it's, I've been reflecting on that because like Eric Lang is one of the most well-known designers now. Um, And I'm just reflecting on like, what is the percentage that Eric Lang talked about games that were his own or talked about games in general or just existed as a human. And it made me realize that like, I don't have to constantly be talking about my own games. Cause that was something that I did a lot at origins because I was so nervous mm-hmm. and anxious yep. and insecure. It's a shield, right? Like, I mean, it, it is so a comforting exactly. thing to talk about your stuff. Absolutely. And yes. I, yeah, 
and I have this propensity to lead with talking about myself and my own things in conversations where I don't know what to do, which is mostly all the time. I sound <laughs> extroverted, but I'm really anxious in conversations because I can't read other people. Um, and so I just always lead with stories or facts about myself or things I find interesting in the hopes that people will jump on that and talk about themselves because I'm very bad about like thinking about what to ask people when. And so that's also been feeding into this thing of like thinking about how I was interacting with people at Origins, which is always like, I approach them and I say, I have good news. I share my good news with you. And then I wait expect expectantly. Right, and then they're right. like, all right, I have to go deal with this thing. And I'm like, I feel really bad now. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so, sorry if you heard a loud click there. That was my fidget cube. That oh, that's I, not a problem. I was gesturing with my microphone. So I hit my microphone. It's, um, yeah, it's tough. Those situations are really tough. Like, I mean, I'll admit that in conversations outside of the game design industry, one of the most typical things I do when I'm talking to someone new is I'll ask what they do in hopes that either A, what they do is so interesting that it will carry the conversation or B it's not. And they'll say, what do you do? And then I'll say, I design board games. And then the conversation mm -hmm. will carry itself the rest of the way. Cause no matter how they feel about board games, they find it interesting and it's something yeah. for us to talk about. And there won't be awkward pauses and we don't have to talk about the weather, which I hate, uh, <laughs> I don't hate the weather. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I hate the weather, but I hate talking about the weather. Um, mm. So I have a little cheat code there actually. Do you want a little cheat code? Sure. What do you listeners? do? Um, instead of asking, what do you do? Because I used to do that too. I first ask, do you enjoy your job? And uh, some people will say yes. And then I'll say, please tell me about your job. Um, and a lot of people say no. And then I'll be like, all right, what are your favorite hobbies right now? That's not bad. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. That's something else I've always heard, like, say, ask somebody like, hey, what do you like to do? You know, like, what do you, what do you enjoy yeah, what do you doing? Like do? Yeah. That's what do you good. enjoy? And, and see what they say about that. Um, yeah, because a lot of people don't want to talk about their job. Um, yeah. I know I generally, in until I was uh, designing, like, I didn't want to talk about my job because I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. And, uh, kind yeah. Of the same. I am, I am proud of the years I spent as a professional barista. I, I did find that fulfilling until I didn't, and then I left. Um, and then I just kind of had a bunch of boring day job kind of stuff. Right, right. I was excited when I got promoted, but the promotion turned out to be not right. at all what I wanted or needed in the end. Right, which is always bad. I mean, like when you think you know what you're getting and then it's not, it can be really tough. Yeah, it's so. rough. Uh, um, but yeah, this imposter syndrome stuff, I've been thinking about like, you know, cause the first step obviously is to identify it. And I did mm -hmm. not realize until recently that these behaviors that I was exhibiting were my own manifestation of imposter mm -hmm. syndrome, because right. before I, you know, the horizon fellowship and signing games and all this other stuff, right. I wasn't really feeling much imposter syndrome. I was feeling pretty secure in my position where mm -hmm. it's like, oh yes, I I designed games for a long time. And then over time, I got a few opportunities, such as I'm now a moderator of Break My Game, and that's cool. And I feel like that was like uh, appropriately paced for my game designer trajectory. Right. Right. Uh, and then right. it sort of spiked up, and now I don't know what to do. And so obviously identifying is, is the first step, and I'm happy that I got here. I'm here now, which is, makes me feel better. Um, and then the question is how to combat it, which is always the question with imposter syndrome. Boy, right. howdy. <laughs> right. I think... I think one of the easiest ways to combat the opposite of imposter syndrome, right? The arrogance for those people who have the issue of like feeling very full of themselves because of the success, right? Uh, not just because they're hiding imposter syndrome, like many of us are, is just to remind <laughs> yourself that like current success, it's the opposite of the advice I gave you when you were starting to have this success. And we talked about it on the podcast and I was like, focus on the success you have right now. Right. Because mm -hmm. like, things may not go the way you planned. Things may not work out like Elemistic. Great. It's, it's ready to print now. Like at that time that was up in the air. And I was like, Hey, listen, that may not happen, but don't dawdle on like, don't dwell on those things. Like you're having mm -hmm. this moment and cherish this moment. Right. Like, but I think is to remind yourself if you feel too good about it, right? Like, Oh my gosh, I'm, this is going to be amazing. I'm the best. Like is to remind yourself that that might go away. Right. There are plenty yeah. of people who've made one or two big games and we've never heard from again. Um, mm. And like, did maybe they stopped, right? Maybe they said, I don't want to do this anymore. 
maybe they had one good game in them, you know? Um, and that was what they had, you know, like, but I just think that it's important to remind yourself, like to check yourself of like, everything is temporary, right? This game is temporary. The success is temporary. Celebrate that moment. But if you have trouble letting your ego run away, I think that's a way to combat that. Obviously for those with imposter syndrome, do the opposite, right? Feel the moment, (laughs) be excited about it. Uh, and remind yourself that like wherever it goes after that, it still is, it's, it's okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But imposter syndrome just sucks. Like it just sucks. (laughs) And the worst thing about imposter syndrome is, and it's, I think it's good. You're recognizing your ways of combating it that you don't feel are healthy are it's important because imposter syndrome, as you get more success, it only gets worse, right? It's that's oh, what's so stupid about Can't imposter wait. syndrome, right? <laughs> like, I mean, there are super famous actors and actresses who will tell you that like um, their imposter syndrome has only gotten worse as they've won Academy Awards and things like that, because mm-hmm. the higher level mm-hmm. you get, the more risk of determining that you're just a fraud, right? Um so for me, one of the ways to combat that with the podcast has always been to just admit that I'm a fraud, right? To just be like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm trying to do the best. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think calling out your imposter syndrome in that way is is healthy, right? To say like, I'm just just trying to figure this out, you know? And um, And I think because I think people relate and understand that. And it also can make you feel a little safeguarded in the fact that, like, if you are being self-deprecating in a healthy manner, to be clear, in a healthy manner, not like, oh, I'm the worst, um, is it can help combat because it takes away the idea that you're fooling everyone, right? You know, Um, whereas I think with imposter syndrome, sometimes we feel like we have to double down and fool it like we're fooling everyone. So we better do it worse, do it more. Yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> yeah. they can't figure it out. Otherwise, we're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So. Ugh, it's yeah. So stupid. It's, <laughs> it's all stupid. It's That's a good title for the podcast. Imposter syndrome sucks. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. But that was good, though. Yeah. I, I mean, even just talking, I'm sure that I'll come back in a little while and be like, I have more in-depth strategies for combating imposter syndrome hopefully i can help you all um but that's not now oh boy that might be in the future hopefully fingers crossed i'm i'm sure in the discord people will have thoughts on this you know i mean in our talks with people in the discord um all of us or most of us struggle with imposter syndrome right i don't think there's a single one of us that would say we don't struggle with it at least a little bit um and i think creative endeavors make it worse right because it's all so it's all so subjective yeah. And you know what I've been doing? It's it's this sort of like, you know, the death knell to creativity is comparison. And that's what I've started doing in the past couple of months. And it has been an absolute nightmare. And yeah. I have yeah. definitely hit some like mental dark alleys <laughs> as a result. Yeah. I, I've talked about this on the show before. You know, when I when it was first Rob and I and we were the only two hosts and one of us would start to have success and then that would slow down and the other one would start to have success and like to not compare yourself to this person who started with you, who is doing the same things you're doing, but is seeing mm-hmm. more success. That is really Ooh. difficult. And yeah. we both felt it at different times, you know, um, because I had some earlier success. He had some later success and we never really felt like we had that joint success at the same time. So a lot of times it very much felt like one of us was, you know, more successful than the other and it was hard not to get in your own head about that and be like why not me why is it me that's not successful right now what am i doing wrong um the answer was nothing it wasn't our time right we were just all working Mm -hmm. on the things we were working on and we both had a lot to learn um yeah yeah so so i i just you know the comparison game will ruin you like it will ruin your ego in a bad way Uh Um, it can also build your ego in a bad way, right? When you're like, look how much better I am than all these other people, right? Oh yeah, that's I mean, a good that's, point. You know, that's something else to think, right? Oh, I, I hang out with all these new designers. I have so many games and they have nothing. 
Like it's such an easy way to just build yourself up in a negative way. Right. Oh, for Um, sure. I, I at least can take solace in the fact that my desire to hang out with more new designers and less experienced designers stems from wanting to help them get to the level that they want to be at and not me comparing myself to them. Although since this is so new to me, I, that's a really good, I'm glad you brought that up so I can keep that in my pocket and make sure I can check in with myself in relation to that and make sure that's not a thing that happens. Exactly. So there's a lyric that I would love to end with. It's from uh, uh, one of my favorite uh, UK rap groups, uh, which is Dan Lesac versus Scroobius Pip. And uh, Scroobius Pip is the rapper. And um, and he's talking about uh, getting better. And he says, uh, who am I better than? And he says, I'm better than I used to be. I'm going to keep on getting better. So you better just get used to me. Um And he said, if you think that's a cop out, then hear my point truthfully, because chances are this is how you should be. Um, If your only goal is to be as good as Scroobius Pip, then as soon as you achieve that, your standards will slip. If your only goal is always to improve on yourself, then the quest is never over, no matter how big your wealth. Um, And like it's really comes back to how do I be the, the I heard somebody say it as how do I be the next best version of myself? Right. Not the best version, because that's too far away. But how do I be the next best version of myself today, tomorrow, the next day, and for the rest of my life, right? Constantly improving. Um, Yeah, being the next best version of yourself, I think, is a really great goal. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's something we need to remind ourselves. um, Oh, gosh. Is that we can be the next best version of ourselves right now with a choice mm-hmm. that we make right literally it doesn't today. it literally can be point zero 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 one percent better but it's better and mm-hmm. that's that's what you're working towards right and i think with a podcast like this where we can reflect on ourselves and how we should be doing things differently you know um now i'm just gonna be get a big ego about how we've improved ourselves so. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i'm so grateful for the podcast holy heck Oh my God. Me too. Okay. It, it is the only reason I'm still in this industry. If it was not for this podcast, I would have quit game design years ago, years ago. Well, I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> hey, right. Me too. And you know what else has been helping me is listening to the episodes that I'm not on. Oh, what? Done. I'm so honored. <laughs> I am so honored. Um, mostly because I, I figured out how to uh, prevent volume spiking things because uh, you know that that's like the one thing that i that prevented me from listening to those episodes i did not know that no oh uh, it, it's just it, so i mentioned that i'm i'm on the autism spectrum and yeah, i'm really yeah. sensitive to sounds especially yeah. but it turns out if i play music that is just loud enough that mm-hmm. it prevents the volume spiking because mm-hmm. that's the thing it's like when the volume spikes and dips like if there's ever a lull in a conversation um and the room is silent when the conversation starts up again that's like a point yep. of overstimulation. Yep. yep. Uh, and with podcasts, that happens a lot unless I listen to music at the same time. So that's been my little trick. Interesting. Of, uh, Interesting. Yeah. So I, I've started going through the backlog and listening to all the other episodes and it right, is rad. Right. Yeah. When you listen to, when you have a bunch of guests on, you can never guarantee how the volume will be handled. Yeah. <laughs> so I do yeah. my best there's in post, that but there's one that has a bunch of guests on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. Those are hard for me to edit sometimes because, um, I also like, I have trouble focusing when there's too much sound. Um, I can't Mm -hmm. pick out the correct sounds. I can only pick out, and that's having OCD. That's just part of that is like my brain doesn't choose what I focus on. My, my brain chooses what I focus on, just not consciously, which really sucks. So yeah. Similar, similar case here. It's, it can get rough. It's rough. Yes. OCD and autism, according to my therapist have a lot of friendly similarities. (laughs) (laughs) yeah a friendly handshake venn diagram (laughs) yes of of shit you have to deal with (laughs) so well hey this has been super duper fun um i I mean i love reflecting on this stuff and uh and i would love to hear people's thoughts in the discord about this and how you deal with imposter syndrome and uh and you know um and trying to find that correct balance of not overdoing it and not underdoing it right Um, Yeah. Help us save us from ourselves. Yes. (laughs) Um, I I do have a new game to pitch, but I'll save it for next time. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine, too. I'll say you were welcome to do it now, but if you want to save it for next time. 
It's up I to can, you. I mean, I can do it now. Yeah, yeah go I for have, it. Yeah. We, it's the internet. We have all the time we want. And you and I are recording in the middle of the day. So I and my kids are at my at my mom's house. So I actually have yeah. time. Yeah, I'm the limiting factor because I have to go to my wise wizard meeting soon. But I can pitch a game first. All right. Yeah, go for so, it. This game is inspired actually by uh, uh, Kirsten Lund's Ovation and the game Mystic Veil, which is another game that Kirsten and I both love. Kirsten uh, Kirsten London and I just uh, had the last episode. You heard her talking about uh, Ovation. Yeah. Ovation and the number of rakes it is from New Zealand uh, to um, Australia, which is about one and a half million. I predicted seven and a half million. I was wrong. So, um, yeah. yeah. Rakes, like literally the gardening tool? Yeah, garden rakes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, We were talking about how Americans (laughs) will use anything but the metric system. So I suggested garden rakes. So, yeah. Amazing. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So the game is called Forging a Legacy. It's about blacksmithing. Mm -hmm. Uh, The general... So this is still a nascent game idea. Um, I started working on it this week. So the idea is um, what you're doing is building reputation. Those are the victory points. Uh, Blacksmith in a large town. You're making tools, you're making decorations, all this other stuff. You're training yourself to be the blacksmith that you want to be. So you can, you know, leave your legacy behind. Mm-hmm. Um, it work. It is basically a deck builder, though deck building is not the primary focus. This is inspired by Mystic Veil. Everyone starts with a deck of 16 cards, and you will add very, very few cards to your deck. Um, there are two types of cards. There are tools, and there are upgrades. Mm-hmm. A bunch of the tools will stay out in front of you and give you some sort of passive bonus or a bunch of victory points or both. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a small amount of tools will get put into your deck. The core concept of the game is that the cards are different categories. You have two forge cards, mm-hmm. two luck cards, and then four each of skill, technique, and discipline cards. At the end of your turn, you do your setup, which is flip cards from the top of your deck until you hit a pair. Mm-hmm. Then if you have your practice token online, you can flip it over, clear it out, do it again until mm-hmm. you hit a pair. So once you have a pair of cards, you stop. And then all of the symbols that you have, each card has one symbol. So it's like, you know, maybe I have two skill, one discipline and one forge. That's what I'm getting for my next turn. The upgrades live on a board mm-hmm. and it basically, it has the five icons, you know, forge, skill, technique, discipline, luck. And they tell you what you get each time you see one of those symbols and use it during your... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so it starts off where your skills give you one stamina, your techniques give you one copper, which is one of the two resources you need to make tools, uh, and your luck gives you two stamina. Twice as much, because you see it half as often. And then forging is, you may forge an item this turn. If you don't have a forge, you can't make a tool. But you can always buy upgrades. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there are copper tools and gold tools. Gold tools are stronger and more victory points and they track how the game ends. Um, so there's a pile of gold rings. It's sort of like the provinces in dominion, basically mm-hmm. if the gold rings yep. empty out or if a certain number of gold cards from the random market are bought, then, then you, uh, then you do that. Um, but the primary concept of the game is that you're buying upgrades and many of the upgrades can slot into multiple columns and some of them have different effects based on the column that they're on. That's mm-hmm. one of the main things. And so you could just, oh man, like those skill cards, I just want to build up all these skill cards. And I got a tool that also counts as a skill card. Um, the tools also count for the pairs. Like, oh, I have a matching pair, but mm-hmm. it's the tool pair. So if you only have one tool in your deck, you'll never get a pair off of a tool. Um, but the more tools you have, the more likely you are to you know, have more right. cards in a row. And then there's a bunch of stuff where... Like uh, the always available copper tool gives the first card that you play the non-fatigue status. I have it as an icon. I don't even have it spelled out. But basically, it's you put it on its side, and then it gets a little icon that mm-hmm. signifies that it does not count for the pair that makes you stop. Okay. So if the first card I flip is blue, the skill card, and then the next card I flip is skill, it counts as only one skill because the first one didn't count. Right. And then if I flip the right. third skill, now I stop because now it's a pair. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can stack those, uh, and there are different mechanics that are like, uh, give the first blue card you draw each setup, the non-fatigue, all this other stuff. Um, so you are manipulating how your deck functions up there mm-hmm. with the tools, 
and also down below with the upgrades because you might just stack all the blue it's like i'm on the blue plan and it's like all right i'll have these spikes of power each time i hit a blue card and then the rest of my cards are weak or you could evenly distribute it and luck is doing a like a lot of cards will have a bonus effect if you put it on your luck column because mm -hmm. luck you see a lot less frequently um and it could just be a much stronger version of the effect or it could be a, a different effect that you didn't see before and then a bunch of the tools um another main thing that the tools do is uh improvising which if you're familiar with magic the gathering it's literally literally just scry if you're not familiar it's uh, okay yeah i yep. improvise two cards i look at the top two of my deck i can put any i want on the bottom of the deck which is very important when your deck is only 16 cards right, plus right tools you buy. um and then put the rest on top in any order mm -hmm. um and so yeah so i'm really excited to see the different diverging paths of choices that can yeah, happen oh yeah. okay one main thing um what happens if you can't buy stuff that's going to happen pretty frequently so you have this practice token uh you you only have one token and you flip it and now it's grayed out you discard your whole setup and then you flip a new setup oh okay. if you can't or do so the way it normally works is copper and gold are little tokens that you keep from round to round and then mm -hmm. spend when you want but the stamina is like a it, it's a decaying resource so okay, at the end yeah, of your turn yeah. all your unspent stamina goes away there what the always available upgrade is called practice mm -hmm. it costs however much stamina you have so whether it's zero or 19 or whatever it is if you don't want to buy anything you can instead just practice it's an upgrade that can go in any of the three main slots so skill technique or discipline and it adds mm -hmm. one state gives those cards plus one stamina that it adds and it reflips your practice token that's the way that you flip your practice token back online right right that that sounds like something i would absolutely love to try i love yeah. the um i love the the way the deck flows i think that's really really clever so thanks yeah yeah we'll have to try that, that when we see each other that again. upgrade board oh i'm sorry i interrupted you no no go ahead go ahead um, yeah, uh, the upgrade board is directly inspired from Ovation, which is nice. in my top five favorite games ever. And I'm, nice. I'm like, Ovation's number one fan. I love that game so much. Um, and it's still on Kickstarter. So, oh, uh, it will is. it still be on Kickstarter by the time the episode comes out? I think um, it will be. Back it. I think it'll be like the last yeah, yeah. several days. And I, I said on the last episode, you better go check it out and back it because it's really Oh good, my God, so, yeah. yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. And Kirsten, it's like so obvious in like every iota of the game how much love Kirsten put into it and how yes. much... Yes. like time and attention is in and it. that came across on the episode as well so yeah you'll have it yeah. just came out you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet uh as of the time of yeah. recording but you'll have to it's a good one so yeah she's got a lot I'm, of i'm gonna stuff, listen to so, it yeah <laughs> um but yeah this is the game that i'm gonna this is the other game i'm gonna be pitching at gen con because i'm also gonna be finishing up pitching for wild magic um and hopefully i'll have wild magic news after gen con cool sounds good Awesome. Well, uh, listeners, I hope you enjoyed our convo about imposter. I hope you've got some feedback. If you do, uh, go to buildingthegamepodcast.com. Find a link to our Discord. If you don't have feedback, do that anyways. Uh, if you want to get in touch with <laughs> it us, a you can... place. exactly. You can find us at uh, buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, on the Twitter, the podcast is at podcastbtg. I am at ja slingerland. Uh, Jamie does not have social medias anymore except for Discord. Yeah. Another reason to join the BTG Discord so yeah. yes and uh yeah. so yeah and i don't know how much longer we'll have it either so we'll we'll see what happens uh mm -hmm. but uh <laughs> we hope you come back next week and until then good night oh yes building the game with jason and friends with jason and friends building the game building the game with jason and friends with jason and friends dial 770 hotel btg please don't use the email